Zipper rolls out to the right, pitches off to Taylor, and Taylor's to the 20. Down to the 15, down to the 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Billy Taylor scored a touchdown from 21 yards out. The crowd goes berserk. It was November 22nd, 1969 that they came to Barry, Michigan, all dressed in maize and blue. The words were said, the prayers were read, and everybody cried. But when they closed the coffin, there was someone else inside. Oh, they came to Barry, Michigan, but Michigan wasn't dead. And when the game was over, it was someone else instead. Eleven Michigan Wolverines put on the gloves of gray, and as the organ played the victors, they laid Woody Hayes away. Under center is Wangler at the 45. He goes back. He's looking for a receiver. He throws downfield to fire. Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the 400th episode of the Michigan Man. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. It's hard to believe we are in our eighth year of the show and still waiting for our first Big Ten championship. When we started the show back in January of 2010, I thought we were on the verge of a new and exciting era of Michigan football with Rich Rodriguez. We know how that turned out. Then Brady came back from San Diego State and we thought, yes, someone that gets how it's supposed to be done here in Ann Arbor. And we were disappointed again. There was so much turmoil on and off the field during those years. Then we hit a home run and brought Jim Harbaugh back home. Finally, we had the guy who would get us back on track and return Michigan football to what we think anyway is our rightful place at the top of the Big Ten and battling for a spot in the playoffs. I think all of that is still coming. Maybe not as fast as some of you, the faithful, would like, though. So through eight years and 400 episodes, I can say this with certainty. There has never been a dull moment. There sure won't be this week. Beat writer Nick Baumgartner from the Detroit Free Press will join us in just a minute with his take on Saturday's IU Nailbiter and then discuss this Saturday night's game at Beaver Stadium against number 2 Penn State. Before Nick joins us, my view from Section 17 this week. I can honestly say that I have not had a relaxing moment watching Michigan football this year whether in my seat in Section 17 or on TV. Through six weeks, I have been a nervous wreck watching this team, a drenched nervous wreck at the Michigan State game. The closest I come to relaxing is when we are on defense. This D is so good, I am shocked when the opposition strings together a drive or busts a big run. When we have the ball, Murphy's Law seems to be in full effect. I feel like I should be wearing a mouth guard when we have the ball. I just grind my teeth watching this offense as it seems to struggle with issues on seemingly every play. Now, I know that's an exaggeration, but it does feel that way. Now we pack our bags and head to Happy Valley for a national TV game at night against the number two team in the country, one that we hammered in the big house last year, and they have gone 15-1 and since that game. I know anything is possible. That's why they play the game but I can't be the only one that has bad vibes about this one. Do I think we can win? Yes. 
How do we win? By running the ball down their throats, with John O'Corn taking what the defense gives him in the passing game, and by keeping the penalties to a minimum. The defense will do their part to give us a chance. Okay, we haven't seen all of that happen in a game this year, but it has to on Saturday night if we want to be in a position to win or keep the game close. This is a young team, and sooner or later they will turn the corner. Let's hope the turn begins this Saturday night in Happy Valley. Nick Baumgartner liked the game plan on Saturday and thinks we have to stay committed to the running game, stop the penalties, and just let the defense do its thing. He joins us next here on our game day segment on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze in Brew. Back with us on our Michigan Game Day segment this week to take a look back at the overtime game in Bloomington and, of course, look ahead to a trip to number two, Penn State. Michigan beat writer Nick Baumgartner from the Detroit Free Press. Great to have you back with us, Nick. Always good to be with you, Mike. Well, Nick, let's get right to the offense and talk about that. Aside from the penalties on Saturday, and we'll talk about that in a minute or two, it looks like Jim and staff have decided, you know, hat-on-hat blocking, dies, counters, uh, some gap stuff, and let Karan and the running backs find their way is what works best. And that's really basic. But I think of everything we've seen so far this season, that might be the ticket. Yeah, I have to give them, you know, give credit where it's due. I mean, I was... I was pretty rough on them last week with, with everything I wrote in terms of their game plan uh, against Michigan State, uh, and really their game plans through the first you know five weeks of the season. I, I didn't I didn't understand them uh, with with a younger football team, but last week I really did think um, you know there was issues obviously, but I, I thought that that game plan made more sense than anything they've done all year in terms of they got you know like we said they got back like you just mentioned they got back to something that they do pretty well, and that is. That is their gap stuff, which is, like you said, the powers, the counters, the isos, you know, blasts and dives, those types of things. The stuff that they've always sort of had as foundation-level runs uh, in this offense. Um, you know, you can sprinkle in zone. You can sprinkle in some other things, but those things need to be your kind of counter. Those things need to be your your off-speed pitch or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, the, 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 the complement to your fastball, so to speak. And it, that hadn't been the case this season. Uh, but, you know, we saw it uh, there Saturday where they, they, they went with what was working uh, and they stuck with a guy who, who runs that stuff, Karan Higdon, better than anybody else on the team. And, and it worked. I mean, it was 271 on the ground against, against the defense. That, and I know that people like to <laughs> maybe lump Indiana into this, into this category of terrible defense, you know, a terrible defense because that's what they were for so long. But, you know, they've, they've improved over the past few years, especially against the run. I mean, they... They uh, kept Saquon Barkley to under 60 yards a couple weeks ago. So uh, 271 on the ground, 200 for Higdon. Uh, you know, that's what they needed to do. There was a lot of other issues with that game plan or that game, rather. 
but I, I should say that the game plan itself made sense to me. Um, you know, and I think they, it was enough. And uh, and for that week, it was enough for a win, and, and then won. Any question in your mind, Karan Higdon should be the featured back moving forward? Doesn't seem like it. I mean, it seems like you know it. It it, it seems like you know if you can remember back to last year when, um, when he kind of emerged as a as a option, um, he did so by running, you know, by running those sets. He was he was a great. He was a great, you know, you know, kind of relief guy for Davion Smith, and that he's he's our most decisive runner, and and he's the fastest through the hole. I mean, he's a guy who in, in those and in those you know types of downhill runs, it's you're looking for a guy who knows where he's going, who can make one cut, put the shoulder down, and go, and and not screw around, not bounce anything in the backfield, not not try to reverse field, not try to wait and pick and and find. He's not a zone runner, you know. I think Ty Isaac is maybe more of a zone runner. And and Evans, I think, is still trying to find out what he is. But Karan Higdon is absolutely a downhill guy, and if you're going to lean on the lean on the powers and encounters and things like that, I think he's he's your best bet. So, you know, the other guys are going to still get carries, and I, you know, I, I'd like to actually see more of. And it's funny because I've gotten more questions about this guy all season. Cream Walker, I I I argue that maybe you need to see more of him um, because you know that he only had one run, but it was pretty impressive. I thought it was I thought it was a nice little. A nice little power run to the outside. So I, I would even if you're going to lean more on this heavy stuff, um, I think he could give you something. So uh, certainly more of Higdon, and then uh, you know maybe even maybe even see what Cream Walker could give you. But I would I would certainly buy into what you're doing, what you did last week, and and use that as your anchor. Uh, and sort of move forward from there. Well, and clearly the game plan was to take pressure off of John O'Corn. Your thoughts on his play, Nick? Yeah, I mean you know it, after the game, you know they both he and Harbaugh both had kind of brushed off uh sort of the 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 really low passing numbers uh basically you know saying well the running game worked so we didn't need to pass and it's like well i mean that's fair on some on some level but it, it, you you couldn't have the pass because it wasn't there i mean it, you did it on necessity because there was nothing nothing was working uh you know they the, the combination of what they were trying to do and then what they tried to ask, you know, they didn't ask much of John O'Corn. They, they basically asked him to do a handful of things and he, he didn't deliver on any of them. And that's really the issue here. It's not, it's not that he didn't go out there and light Indiana up for 300 yards. They weren't, they weren't asking him to do that. They, they were asking John O'Corn to probably be, you know, 14 of 20 for about 150 yards uh, and with a couple of chunk plays, and he didn't get it done. I mean, there was one over the top of the Peoples-Jones that was wide open that was a touchdown that he overthrew. Uh, there was one where Zach Gentry had broke free later in the game on a deep shot that he just completely missed him and didn't even look at him. Um, and there was a couple other spots here and there where, where the throws were either where either he or receiver weren't on the same page or it just wasn't there. You know, they, they weren't asking him to do a ton, but whatever they did ask him to do, he couldn't deliver on. And that's sort of the formula. If if they can get that fixed, where if you say, okay, John O'Corn, we're going to need you to make like three or four really nice throws a game to really keep people, just to keep people honest, just to keep people honest. That's all we need you to do. And we can lean on our defense and grind out a game. Then they can win some games and they can make things difficult on a lot of people they play. But if he can't make those throws in those moments, and if he can't do what's there when, when they're open to sort of keep people honest, then then it's a struggle. And that's, and that's what you saw on Saturday, and that's why it was more difficult than it needed to be. If he if he makes a couple of those shots that we just mentioned, uh, this is probably a blowout. And and you know they they keep they keep Indiana honest. They're off their they're on their heels a little bit, and he's just doing just enough. Um, it's the old you know the old Trent Dilfer method, right? What what the Ravens did the one year, and 
way back when, where it was pound the football, your quarterback makes just enough throws to keep people honest, your defense dominates somebody, and you win more than you lose. And that's that's what the recipe has to be. And uh, if O'Corn can play his part, they can be fine. But that's that's the big question right now. Well, I thought it was interesting uh, during the game and last week, Brock Heward, who did the game, was uh, the color analyst for ABC. Last week on his podcast and then during the game, he, he did a very illustrative look at what John O'Corn is seeing because he said he wanted to back up and see in that Michigan State game, what was John O'Corn looking uh-huh. at? And he said, you know, throw out the debate, should we have been throwing in the monsoon? He said he just wanted to see what John was or wasn't seeing. And he said, you know, in a classic pro-style offense, you have your progressions. And he said there's usually three progressions in three seconds, which sounds amazing. But he said in the NFL, it can be five and six. But he said John Mm -hmm. was locked on to those downfield receivers on just about every attempt against the Spartans. And what was really amazing is he rolled the tape. He said, let's look at these 12 passes that he threw in the third quarter. And he said seven of those, the, pr- the number two and the number three progressions, mid-range and then underneath, were wide open. On five of them, Michigan State had no one in the area. And what Brock's point was is he said, I'm sure Jim Harbaugh and staff are trying to get John to realize that, you know, look downfield. If it's not there, you throw underneath, you're going to chunk up 10, 15, 20 yards or more. Teams aren't accounting for these mid-range and underneath receivers right now. And he he went back then in the Indiana game and said, see, they're not even covering it. They're just doubling on the outside. Mm-hmm. They're saying, go ahead, beat us down the field. And he said, you know, we talk about our young receivers aren't getting separation. He said, you know what? That's a way to create separation for them. If John can just start dumping the ball underneath more, you're going to make separation on the outside for your young guys. Yeah, that's how you scheme it. I mean, you know, and, and they're starting to scheme some stuff that should be there. But like you say, your, your, your quarterback has to do the bare minimum, and that's really what this is. It's, you have got to deliver the football uh, to, someone that's, to someone that has a chance to make a play, and that's what this has to be. Uh, I, I think that they, they got away from that earlier this season, uh, and for whatever reason, and whether that be they're, they're coaching kids up to try to take these deep shots or whatever it is, but you could even watch John O'Corn. I mean, it's funny. Um, I think it was Al Borges years ago used to say it's, Michigan Michigan quarterbacks are the easiest to read their they're the easiest to read their eyes on film because the wings on their helmet uh, are always pointing where you know you can see where they're looking there's no hiding you know where they're looking so you can watch John O'Corn drop back and you can see where his eyes are and on, on more often than not it's on it's on the vertical and when the vertical's not there it's it's the feet start bouncing and he rolls out of the pocket and he runs around or or the play's dead and that's that's got to stop I mean when when it's first read and it's first reads there, he's delivering the football and it's it's more than fine. That's what we saw against Purdue, where every first read was wide open and he threw for 270. The last two weeks, the first reads have been covered, which is normal because that's just how defenses are. <laughs> and and he has not been able to check out of it. I mean, he has not been able to to get through it and to and to see anything else. And that has been a huge issue. Uh, and that's why they look like they're playing with one hand tied behind their back because you know if he's not able to hit a couple of throws that are that are there to keep people honest. It is brutal. I mean, and even at the end of the game, you know, credit Michigan's offensive line because they were they were making things happen in the second half against an eight-man front because Indiana knew absolutely that Michigan couldn't throw the football, and they still and they still ran the football uh, for two touchdowns, including two chunk plays there in the second half. And you know, people want to criticize them for not getting a first down at the end of the game. There, well, that's a nine-ten-man front because they knew everyone in the building knew that there was no way. John O'Connor was throwing the football. It was that bad. So, you know, I, I credit Michigan's offensive line for having a nice game. 
on the ground. I thought they protected him much better. I don't think he can completely complain about that. He's got to be better. And it's his offense. That's the other thing I'd say is if anyone who's in the building, they watch the sideline and they watch Brandon Peters and Dylan McCraffrey on the sideline, that wasn't even an option. Michigan is so clearly not ready to put either of those guys in the football game right now. It is John O'Corden's team. He's got to figure it out. Uh, and it's got to be him moving forward, or at least until Spate, if Spate can get help and come back. But right now, it's it's all John O'Corn, and uh, he's got to do it. Well, the penalty thing on Saturday, Nick, was just ridiculous. I was just grinding my yeah. teeth watching that. I'm not even sure where you start with that discipline, youth. Uh, it doesn't matter when you have the offense uh, like we have. You can't overcome that. I mean, that has got to get fixed fast. Yeah, that was the unique part was there was no one or two groups or whatever to blame. It was really on everybody. I mean, it was even special teams had three or four, uh, three or four penalties, which is really rare. You know, holding on sportsmanlike. You know, you saw three offsides from the defense. Uh, you saw, you know, holds, pass interference, uh, and not a lot of things that there that were very, uh, you know, that you could argue. I mean, they were all pretty clear calls, and that's the that was the problem. You know, receivers holding, uh, receivers hitting after the play. I mean, it was just a snowball effect of. You know, all of a sudden, everything you've maybe been getting away with, you're caught, you're caught red-handed doing, and it's just 11 in the first half. I mean, that's out of control. The first quarter was, I think, six, and the first half overall was was 11. Um, you know, that's that's the thing where I look back at that game and say, there's all the missed opportunities they had in the first half. Um, that was 13-3 at halftime. That game should have easily, easily been 20, 23 nothing at halftime if they had if they had cut the penalties out. If they'd finished drives properly without without screwing themselves over with the penalties, and if they hadn't let Indiana basically walk down the field due to penalties and, and score on the, on their final drive of the, of the half with the kick, I mean, look how much different things are. If it's you know if it's a team where if it's a team where like you say, you can't afford mistakes, you can't afford to give anybody anything. Um, if you can if you can cut those down and play kind of mistake free football, I mean, it's funny, but you look back to what you look back to what Michigan State did two weeks ago. They just sat in there and said, we need you to make one drive offense and then let them screw up. <laughs> let them screw everything up for four quarters and come out and you come out of there with a win. It's not like they played great football. They just didn't screw themselves over. And that's sort of how Michigan, lean on your defense. And that's sort of how Michigan's going to have to do this. And, and the penalty is 16. That's, that's got to be cut in half and then cut in half again. I mean, they can't survive. Uh, certainly this week at, at Penn State, there's no way. Uh, if they even have maybe eight, I don't know if they can survive it. So. Um, that's got to get fixed in all areas, and that's probably the bigger concern is that it's everywhere. So a lot of work to do on a lot of spots for Michigan this week. The defense got in on the uh, the penalty party, but they were just outstanding again. And, you know, at the beginning of the season, we thought if there are any question marks on this defense, it's going to be in the uh, secondary, especially the corners. But you have to like what you're seeing from Lavert Hill and uh, the guys back there. Really good stuff right now. Yeah, really coming along. They're not... You're not seeing any situations where they are just totally blown, you know, botched the coverage or somebody's just completely free. Um, there was the one play down the sideline where the guy had stepped out of bounds there and come inside on Brandon Watson, where uh, obviously the play was illegal, but maybe you'd have liked even even that moment, maybe you'd like a little better coverage there. But, you know, it wasn't like Brandon Watson was trailing the guy by five yards. He wasn't just completely run by or out of position. And then, you know, Levert Hill is, is turned into, is turning into an outstanding football player. Um, as we watch him sort of like, you know, people want to look back and remember Jordan Lewis's sophomore year where you could see uh, on a team that wasn't very good that year, Jordan was one of the bright spots that continued to get better each week. Uh, and you could see his play elevate. Well, Levert Hill's playing on a really, really good defense, obviously. And 
and you can notice him. You know, he had three breakups against Michigan State, uh, the, the one really athletic interception there against Indiana. Had the mistake. I mean, the, the interception that was wiped out due to pass interference, that was that was pass interference. It's a fair call. So he's still young and coming along, but getting there. Uh, and then David Long, too. I think David Long, you give him a lot of credit. He was a guy where they, they were really concerned about him back in spring and early this season if he was going to get it. Uh, and he looks like he's settling in nicely as well. So um, really good stuff from the defensive backfield all year long. I mean, nobody has thrown the football on this defense at all. Uh, and, and when you and when you consider the fact that nobody can run it, <laughs> that's why you're you're sitting in a situation where I think Indiana had 278 total yards with an overtime, and um, that was a season high for anyone against Michigan. No, no one has had more than 278, and most teams will take 278 and say that's that is outstanding football, that is as good as we can play. And for Michigan, that was that was their technically their worst game on defense this year through six. So. They've been phenomenal all season long, no question about it. Uh, some, but and and that's the part that's the part now where people are seeing if there are one or two mistakes, they get magnified because they just don't happen, and uh, people freak out and say, "Well, what's wrong with the defense?" It's, well, they only make like two or three mistakes, guys. Calm down. <laughs> it's just like it's it's more magnified now. But you know they're they're playing great and they're playing good enough, no question, to give Michigan a chance in every game it has here. It's just a matter of can your offense get through something without sabotaging it. And that's what we're going to find out. You had a piece on the uh, the weekend ratings for ABC, ESPN. Michigan, yeah. Indiana, the ratings king. And that's a noon kickoff uh, beating primetime games. It's scary how much uh, interest there still is in this program, Nick. And it gives you an idea how much pressure uh, Jim Harbaugh and staff are under. I think that's a good way. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Like, I mean, that's... Uh... It's it's because it's it's two things. It's uh, and I've been covering Michigan for a long time, and I've seen this forever. It's two things. It's Michigan's fan base is really big. Obviously, we all know that. There's a lot of people everywhere that, that like Michigan football, and, and they watch every Saturday, and and that's part of the that's part of the part of the reason. But when Michigan looks like it's it's maybe on the ropes, uh, and maybe they'll drop one, or maybe something's not going so well, everybody seems to drop what they're doing and tune in because they want to see it. And especially with Jim Harbaugh now as the coach, because there's a lot of people out there that want to see him stumble. And so, fair or not, that's what it is. Like I wrote, I tweeted it yesterday. I said, you know, some things change, some things never, some things stay the same. And you know, the country loves watching Michigan football, and they love hate watching Michigan football. That seems to be that seems to be certainly uh, well uh, well in well into the in the combination here, because you know, like I say, a noon game against Indiana outdraws everything on all networks for the entire weekend. I mean, that makes no sense. But I think it was a combination of Michigan fans wanting to watch the game and then a lot of people that want to watch Michigan lose. I saw a lot of Michigan State fans watching that thing, tweeting live through it. I saw a lot of Ohio State fans doing the same thing. And I saw a lot of casual observers everywhere else doing the same thing. So that's what the, that's what the job is. You know, that's what we used to talk about um, when Brady Hoke was the coach and why it was too much for him. Uh, and it's too much for a lot of people. Uh, it's, it's a lot. One mistake is blown up. And it's unfair. I mean, you know, Michigan dropped in the polls. They lost the game. They fell. I mean, everyone framed that as Michigan survives a disaster. Uh, Michigan survives a meltdown. You see somebody else win a game by three later in, in, in the night, and it's a well-earned victory. I mean, that's just how it goes at this place uh, because everyone expects more. And I think that that, that that number, that rating sort of illustrates some of that. And uh, that's part of the deal. With us here on our game day segment this week, taking a look back at the Indiana game is uh, Michigan beat writer Nick Baumgartner from the Detroit Free Press. Nick, we know who's next. Uh, game day, national TV, under the lights, Penn State up to number two in this week's poll. And this one scares me, Nick. Uh, I've seen quite a bit of Penn State 
uh, so far this year. They, of course, are good. And we blew their doors off in Ann Arbor last year. Not the perfect recipe for success. A struggling team against an angry, explosive Big Ten and national contender. I don't have good vibes about this one, Nick. No, they're also coming off a bye. So, I mean, yeah. it's, like, it's like there are no built-in advantages here for Michigan at all, uh, if you look at it. Um, no, yeah, Michigan's a double-digit underdog for the first time under Jim Harbaugh. I uh, sort of expected that. You know, Penn State, obviously we all know about Saquon Barkley. Everybody knows he's a fantastic football player. But really in this game, uh, for me, you know, Penn State's defense is is the difference here, uh, or at least it appears to be, in that, you know, last year the defense was never great, um, but it, it seemed like they got better as the year went on, at least to where they could able they were able to center, sort of hold the water and let their offense make big plays. Uh, you know, I would give Michigan – I would give Michigan a chance to hang in this football game because I think its defense can hang against anybody um, if their offense can just find a way to make like to move the ball down the field and finish a drive twice. You know, just go get two touchdown drives and then take care of field position. And I think your defense is good enough to give you a chance. But if you can't do that, then it's going to be a long night because it's you know Barkley at some point is going to is going to make you pay on something whether you're playing it perfect or not because a lot of what Penn State does because their offensive line is still really bad. Uh, and they're still putting up 450 yards a game because Barkley can just run through five tacklers and bounce around the corner and run past everybody in the building. I mean, he's just that good. Uh, so he can do a lot of it on his own. You know, I think McSorley, the quarterback, is so much better than he was when when Michigan saw him last year. Uh, you know, the whole team is, you know, Mike, Penn State's 15-1 and one since that game here last year where they got blown, you know, blown out 48-10, whatever it was. Uh, and McSorley has become more than just a – drop back, heave it, and pray quarterback. There's still some of that in the offense, but he's much more accurate with everything else. The offense seems to run more smooth now. Uh, and the defense is, is, is pressure heavy. It's just like Michigan. It's uh, you know getting, getting your opponent's backfield, get them off schedule, get sacks, tackles for loss, make them face long, you know, lo- you know, third and long, you know, long situations on third down. Michigan has been terrible on third down, even in third and short. Uh, so you have got to find a way to stay out of those bad spots protect the football you've got at some point you're going to have to move the football uh, on this defense and finish touchdown drives that's it and if you can't do it you're gonna lose the game that's there's no other way around it Michigan's offense has to play as perfect as it can um and even then it's probably going to be a football game uh because Penn State's that good and the environment is uh is nasty I mean that's it and all these freshmen all these young guys this is going to be the uh, most intense thing they've ever seen uh by a mile it's it's Penn State at night those people are insane. Uh, game day's there, I think, for the first time since all this scandal stuff rocked the place. I think so. They're feeling pretty good about themselves. Uh, so, yeah, uh, not a not a great recipe for success this week for Michigan. But this is your this is your pivot game, where if you can find a way here, if you can find a way to get it done, then the outlook on everything changes. Uh, everything, and you move forward. And of course, you're never going to be able to take back that loss against Michigan State, but. You know, a win in this one would, would certainly be some pretty good mouthwash, I think, for a lot of people uh, with not only the job that this current team is doing, but with, with the job that you know, Harbaugh and the whole staff are doing uh, right now with the young football team. Yeah, and I think after six weeks, Nick, uh, to some degree, it is what it is, uh, but this staff will, yep. we're not going to go into Happy Valley conceding anything. Jim Harbaugh knows what he's working with, and, and I think Michigan's best chance after what we've seen through the last six weeks is, I mean, I don't know any other way to put it, but it's got to be caveman football. I mean, you can save a lot of yes. the... Uh, sexy NFL stuff for another time as these guys get older, but it's going to be, we kick your butt or you kick ours. 
And in this high-tech era of offenses, I know that sounds simplistic, but I think if you're a young football team with good athletes, but not capable yet of maybe executing that pro-style offense where you need to be, you make it something this team can understand, and you just go in there and give it your best shot. Yeah, if you could find, if your quarterback can make the four to five throws a game that you're really asking him and saying, you have got to deliver here now. You know, it's got to be something where you've got to make them pay here. We've schemed something up. The play, you know, we know it's going to be open. We know it's going to be there. You have got to deliver the football. If he can do that and your offensive line can continue to kind of, can kind of, you know, crack some stuff on the ground and you can grind it out and, and lean on your defense, you can win a lot of games still. Uh, but that's what it comes down to. You know, John O'Corn has to be able to hit the handful of throws. You know, like you said, you mentioned that Brock here went over it or whoever else went over it. You know, it comes down to five to seven passes that are just, they're there, and you've got to deliver them. And if you can't do it, it's going to be a long night, and that's that's the situation. So, to me, it all hinges on that. I mean, it's you can't ask him to do too much, and they didn't last week. They did two weeks ago. They didn't last week. They did not ask much of John O'Corn, and he did not deliver on anything. He's got to be better, period. I mean, he's a fifth-year senior. I understand he's a backup. I understand he was maybe even a third stringer at one point in this offense. Whatever. He's got to be better. It's his thing now. He came here. He told everybody how... He was going to be better here. Uh, he told everybody how Houston made a mistake when they cut him loose. Well, here you go. Now's your chance. I mean, this is it right here. If you're John O'Corn, he's from Pennsylvania. Uh, he grew up there. Uh, this is his opportunity. It's, it's now or never. I mean, you've got to make it happen. So he, they're not asking him to light the world on fire. They're just asking him to be, a, to be a player, to be somebody like something in the realm of what, you know, Jake Rudock was early when he was here before he took off, uh, where it wasn't much, didn't need much, just need enough. And he's got to deliver it. If he can't, Michigan's in trouble. If he can, they've got a shot. That's To me, that's what it comes down to. Well, last question for you, Nick. This is something you and I have talked about before the season, expectations. Fans are never going to be realistic, especially when you've hauled into recruiting classes like we have in the last couple of years and lived through a very disappointing decade of Michigan football. And right now, it seems like the only comparison that matters to a lot of Michigan fans is what they're doing down south in Columbus. What do you say to fans that are beginning to, you know, waver right now when it comes to this program and its direction? I say to them... uh that their frustration uh, is understandable. I think that that's my, my, my best way I can say it. I, I think there's a lot of people who before the year had kind of asked me, like, is it fair for me to be frustrated? You know, like, is that fair, you know, at this point? You know, has he had enough time or whatever? And to me, I look at it on the, on the overall. I think, you know, if I look at it all the way back to, like, 2007, you know, the start of the year where Michigan loses to Appalachian State and then becomes a national punching bag, uh, Michigan fans, like yourself included, have been through – a lot, as much or more than anybody in America for more than a decade. And for, for them to, to voice frustration, I think, is more than fair. I mean, Michigan fans have been asked to just hang in there for another year, wait another minute, let's get to another signing day, let's get one more class in here. I mean, how many more, how many more times do they have to hear that before it's going to be enough's enough? So, I mean, they're not where Ohio State is. They weren't where Ohio State was last year. They weren't where Ohio State was in this offseason. So, there's a lot of people who I think have spent some time listening to the wrong, <laughs> listening to people that like to that like to carry water and tell them exactly what they want to hear, and uh, and that's a bummer. But at the same time, I do understand their frustration. I really do. I mean, not to a frustration point of, you know, I wrote this last week. There is no or else here. There is no win it or else. You know, in the past, it was if you can't get it done, somebody's getting fired. I mean, it, you know, Jim Harbaugh is not going to get fired. He's the guy. So that's that's what makes things even more interesting here, maybe more stressful for Michigan fans, is that you finally have your coach, 
And now it's time to see if he can really do it. And, um, and so there's some of it where, you know, patience, of course, is probably needed because they are a young football team. They're not as good as maybe some people thought they would be on a lot of levels. They're exactly what I thought they would be, but maybe a little worse on offense. I thought they'd be a little better than this, but at the same time, growing pains are, are what they are. Um, but yeah, I do get the frustration. I think it's warranted. I think it's fair because Michigan fans have been asked to sit there and wait and be patient and everything else for 10, 12 years. And I know Jim Harbaugh hasn't been here for 10, 12 years, and maybe some of it's not fair on him, but whatever. I mean, when they're, if they're upset, that's, there's a, there was 112, 13, 14,000 people standing in a monsoon all the way to the fourth quarter two weeks ago that did not leave. Uh, the people are loyal. Uh, they're, they're there every week. Uh, if they're upset and they're frustrated, I think that's totally fair. And I think Jim Harbaugh will probably tell you the same thing. So, I mean, there's probably part of it that you know, you're going to have to ride it out, but I get the frustration. I get being upset, and I don't think people – my point here in the long rant is I don't think anybody should feel guilty about being upset or being frustrated. And I think I hear a lot of people earlier this year that had this – Man, I'm going to feel guilty if I'm if I'm upset if I get if I lose my lose it or something like that. I mean, I think that's fair. You've you've been asked to wait so many times, and at some point somebody's got to deliver. And uh, it's fair to be upset. It's fair to be frustrated. It's fair to question people. That's he is he, Jim Harbaugh is not an unquestioned coach. It's fair to question things that he does. He's not perfect all the time. I think that's fair. That's natural. and That's normal. And uh, if that's what you're doing, then that's fine. I mean, that's that's how I look at it, and uh, and we'll see how they handle it. On our game day segment this week has been Michigan beat writer Nick Baumgartner from the Detroit Free Press. As always, Nick, great stuff. Good to have you on the show, and we look forward to our next visit. All right, Mike. Sounds good. Quick hits is next as we wrap it up here on our game day show on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Quick hits today, no injury updates were provided at Jim's presser on Monday or on his radio show Monday night. We'll check again on Thursday and see if there's anything new. At his Monday presser, Jim said he thought John O'Corn played well on Saturday, saying he had no turnovers, no sacks, and was 100% in the red zone. O'Corn was made available to the media on Monday and said he has to pick it up on Saturday. He realizes he missed open receivers against IU and said he has to take care of the ball and find those open receivers. Jim said it's going to take a team effort to stop Saquon Barkley on Saturday night. Looking back at last week's game, he said he didn't think Lavert Hill interfered on the penalty he was called for Saturday. He mentioned the great play of linebackers McCray and Bush, and said Maurice Hurst and Rashawn Gary were linemen of the week. On his Monday radio show, Jim had quite a bit to say about the 16 penalties called against Michigan. He said many of them, though, were valid, false starts, offsides, etc., etc., but the two special team penalties he referred to as phantom calls. Jim said, we just can't have all of those penalties, though, just cannot have it. Thanks again to Michigan beat writer Nick Baumgartner from the Detroit Free Press for being our guest today. On Thursday's Visitor Show, we welcome the return of Penn State radio play-by-play voice Steve Jones, 
So make sure you join us for that. If you get the show from iTunes, please take a minute to comment or rate the program. Our free show app is available from the iTunes and Google Play stores. And you can listen every week on TuneIn, iHeart, Stitcher, and Wolverine Sports Radio. That will do it for our game day edition of the Michigan Man this week. Don't forget to join us on Thursday as Penn State radio voice Steve Jones stops by for a visit to preview Saturday night's big game. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Until then, have a great Wolverine week, everyone. Take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!